Welcome, everyone, today to Victoria and Friends. Seriously, you've been such a dear friend to me. And I'm so grateful that I can call you my friend. So, Father, I just ask you to help our friends. I'm good. It's so lovely to be with you. (laughs) You don't have the face for radio. You have the face for television. (laughs) Today, I'm talking to a friend of mine. You're amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria, and congratulations on your new show. Welcome to Victoria and Friends. Victoria's guest today is recognized as a thought leader at the intersection of mental health, faith, and culture. Dr. Anita Phillips. And now, here's Victoria Osteen. Today, my guest is Dr. Anita Phillips. She's a trauma therapist and a life coach and a minister and a friend of mine, which I am so happy about. We have been you know, on different things together. You've been at the church ministering and you are an an amazing woman. And tell us a little bit about your story because you got this book, this new book, and I want you to talk about it. But just tell me a little bit about you're a doctor of trauma. Start from the beginning a little bit. Oh, Victoria, first, I'm so glad to be here. And it's so good to see you and talk to you. Uh, This is a, a a point, an important turning point in a long journey. I am a pastor's kid, pastor's grandkid, grew up in church from birth. And I had an older sister who developed a mental illness and her symptoms began to show when I was very young and she was very young and she would have hallucinations that were religious. So my family's very confused. Is she seeing demons? Do we need to pray, rebuke the devil? What? And this is the early 80s. So we didn't have a lot of information about mental illness then. And so as her situation continued to worsen, it was very traumatic for me and for my family. And so it put me on a course of having some questions for God, you know, about how her life went. She developed an addiction that that just broke our family in so many pieces, my parents' hearts broken, and trying to understand what was happening. And there came a point one day when I saw my mom, she was just weeping, crying the way that you cry when you don't think anybody's watching. Mm. I walked in on her crying like that. And she looked at me and she said, I know that something is wrong with Valerie that we don't understand, but I still want to understand it in my Bible. And that just, oh soaked right into my heart. And I asked God, please show me those answers for my mom. But as I got older, it became about more than my mom, more than my family, but the body of Christ. How do we handle these struggles that are confusing to us spiritually? And so I went into the field. I got all the degrees, did all the training, did all the studying. I got all the professional insights, but none of that could tell me what my Bible had to say about it. For that, I had to go to God. And I first went to scripture looking for an explanation of mental illness, but what the spirit wanted to show me was a definition of wellness. Mm. What does it mean to be well? A lot of times we are on these healing journeys and they have no destination. We just want to get out of pain. But there is a definition of wellness in the Bible that speaks to us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And that definition of wellness really is a garden. Mm, and designed us to function like gardens. Wow. And that's what led you to write The Garden Within, where the war with emotions end and your most powerful life begins. Now, I love that, that you said he's going to show you wellness. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. We were designed very specifically by the creator. I mean, God made us by hand. 
And so there all of the questions that we are asking in the psychology realm, we can find direction in scripture for those. And so when God created the garden, he spent those six days creating all these things in the Garden of Eden. I like to say, really, the creator was just laying out all of our parts. Like we lay out all the pieces of an Ikea furniture before we put it together. He was laying out all the parts for us to see and then wrapped it all up in us. So we became a garden. And in Matthew 13, Jesus in the parable of the sower shows us those parts. He says that a sower goes out and sows seeds and they fall on different types of soil, wayside soil, stony soil, thorny soil, but also good soil, fertile soil. And that each one of the types of soil has a different effect on the seed. And if we listen closely, we think we know the story, but a lot of us haven't noticed that Jesus describes the different soil types using emotion words. Mm. He says, no emotion to wayside soil. And look, nothing happens to the seed, no connection. And then stony ground starts out with joy in it, but it ends up with anger in it. The seed grows, but then it dies. The thorny soil has fear in it. So he's distinguishing between these soil types based on emotion and says, this is your heart. And then that fruit that either grows or doesn't grow, those are our behaviors. The bridge is the mind. And so let me tell you this quick story. When I was a graduate student in my first neuroscience class, the first time I saw a neuron, I was blown away by how much it looks like a plant. And I said, God, what is this? And the Holy Spirit just nudged me to dig deeper and to wonder If my creator is the intentional God I say I serve, how can I think that this was an accident, that God would shape the neurons that comprise my mind to look like a plant? Now, if he made plants on the third day and us on the sixth day, that means there was something intentional about making a plant inside of me. All these plants all over the inside of our bodies Mm. is a garden within. And so when I looked at Matthew 13 and I looked at the parable of the sower, all the pieces came together. Seed, the words that we hear, and whether we believe them or not, depends on how the soil, our hearts, our emotional lives respond to the seed. The plant is the mind springing from the ground, and then the fruit is our behavior, believing, feeling, thinking, doing, Mm. all four parts of us. And that is the simple answer to our wellness, that our beliefs, our emotions, our thoughts, and our behavior all flow together in a system like seed, soil, plant fruit. But the key here is to realize the soil is the heart, Mm. which means my emotional well-being is central to how I live my life. So I have to stop warring with my emotions and embrace my heart, not as a battlefield, but as a garden that when I nurture my emotional life, I am prepared to be more powerful spiritually. Mm. That's why I guess some things that when you hear, they fall on good soil, but some things when you hear, they fall on bad soil. Could it be that that soil may have had trauma in it, may have mm-hmm. had conflict that is is maybe traced back and they don't understand? So absolutely, there could be different parts of our hearing that are uh, that fall on you know different parts of our heart where our hearing falls yeah. on that soil. Okay, you know what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Nobody's heart is one thing. We have different areas of our heart, right? Just on a daily basis, I would say I'm, my heart is always uh, fertile ground for He will give us the desires of our heart. 
some days my heart's not that fertile for forgive 70 times 70. Sometimes right. I got to work with my emotions in terms of that anger. And so where we are emotionally does affect what we believe, not just with regard to the word of God, but with words in general. When someone says, hey, you're, you're a great mom. And we feel like that doesn't feel true to me. Because I might be an emotional place where I'm afraid that I'm not taking good care of my kids or I'm I'm scared that I might do something that my parents did that I want to change. And so where I am emotionally makes it hard for me to receive, hey, you're a good mom. Mm. But when I say to myself, man, I don't know if I'm being a good mom today, man, my heart's good ground for that. So it's not just the words, it's the soil that it falls on. Is it fertile for what you just heard? Mm. And will that thing take root? And so sometimes we think I can just keep saying positive things, but people get frustrated because they're confessing all this and it's not changing. And it's because maybe they haven't allowed themselves to work through the sadness or the anger and the fear in their hearts. And it's not wrong to feel those things. Mm. That is so key. Hebrews 4.15 says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmity. He's felt every single emotion that we feel yet without sin. So that means no emotion is a sin. Mm, that's so Because good. Jesus, Jesus felt them all and he never repented. I don't have any record in scripture of Jesus repenting. Mm, that so that means that no emotion so, is a sin. Yeah, that explains things so well because some people think because they think something or feel something or it, because it is true to them, and maybe it is true in reality, that they can't get over that sin, that they can't be right. forgiven of that sin, even if though they, they sinned. Yeah. Or even if they did and they're holding yeah. on to it, and that's a part of their heart that they can't seem mm -hmm. to let go of. But Jesus said, look, I, as soon as you ask me to, for, you right. know, to be forgiven, you're forgiven. I have removed right. those sins as far as the east is from the west. Now that soil has to be recultivated. Yeah, you know? but even more than that, a lot of times Christians feel like they are sinning for feeling. Mm. Like, I still feel sad. I should have joy. Mm. I've, I have the emotion of fear. I shouldn't fear. If I'm fearing, I'm not. And they feel like an emotion is a sin. But Jesus had sadness. Jesus stood in front of Lazarus's tomb and wept, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Mm. And often we'll say as Christians, well, I shouldn't be sad if I know that, that Jesus, I know it's going to turn out good in the end. Well, Jesus knew the end, but he wept anyway. Mm. It's okay to experience and feel and express your pain. It doesn't make you have less faith. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane losing it. I mean, he's crying loud, Father, please spare me from this thing. He was experiencing the physical emotion of fear because he had a human body and he cried out asking for a break. Why else wouldn't he want to be crucified? Because he had a, he had a date that night. I mean, he was stressed, How? <laughs> but he wasn't sinning for feeling that. Right. No, I agree. How do you go from sitting in that feeling mm -hmm. to, to, to moving past that feeling? It, you know, it's about moving through it. We have to allow our bodies to uh, complete the experience of certain emotions because emotions are bodily experiences. And we've been taught to believe that they come from the mind. But if emotional pain is produced by my thinking, that means that Jesus's thinking was bad. 
Jesus had sadness. Jesus got angry. Jesus cried out for mercy and a break in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told the disciples he was so sorrowful. He felt like he could die from the sorrow. So if that was a result of bad thinking, that means Jesus had stinking thinking. And we know that's not true because the Bible says, I want to have the mind of Christ. It's telling me I want the mind of Christ. Emotions are bodily experiences. They're a part of living in this fallen human body. Mm. And But God is so gracious. He designed our nervous system to release the pain through tears, through sound, through movement, by hugging someone really tightly for a long time, things that bring our body back. Mm. But when we hold the emotion in and try and distract ourselves from it, disconnect from our bodies, ignore how we feel, it's still there beneath the surface troubling the soil. Mm. And so I want people to begin to trust that they really are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've learned that when we cry, it actually activates a part of our nervous system that brings our body back into calm and balances our stress hormones back out. But until we cry, that system isn't fully in place. And so many of us spend so much time trying not to cry because we'll feel like we lost kind of if we cry. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but actually, that's my fearfully, wonderfully weak. made body. Right. And that's my body trying to rebalance things for me. That's how God made it. And we're fighting that because we believe a culture that says we're weak instead of a Jesus that cried in public. Mm. I want to be like Jesus. So how how important it is, say you had someone in your life that is going through, you know, some some anxiety Mm -hmm. and maybe is holding some things from past mistakes or things that have happened to them. How how good is it just to listen to them? Oh, if they feel like they just want to say it, you know, because there's people out there that. You know, they don't understand. And that's why it's so great. This We're talking to Dr. Anita Phillips, and her book is The Garden Within, and you can get it wherever books are sold. But I think this book is so key because not only can it help someone who is going through these, but it can help someone who lives with someone or who is close to someone and to help them understand. Exactly. Because when we don't have understanding on something, we want to just put that Band-Aid on it, right? Fix it. Well, just change your thinking. Well, just do this, just do that, you know? And sometimes it's not that easy. Like you said, I love the way you said we have to, we can't just get over it. We have to move through it. We have to move through it, you know? So how, how important is it to just let someone tell you that how they feel? It's hugely important. First and foremost, when it comes to trauma, it's not just the thing that happened to someone. It's a, it's that it happened in the absence of an empathetic witness. To go through something difficult, to lose a loved one, to survive an abuse, so many things. When no one is there to say, I understand you were hurt. Your pain makes sense. I still love you. It's when people say, that's crazy. That's in the past. You're overreacting. The absence of an empathetic witness wounds us even more deeply. There's great power in simply witnessing someone's pain without rushing to fix it, without offering any explanation, without giving them a scripture as fast as you can. A lot of times we do that because we're uncomfortable with emotion. We're uncomfortable with, with painful feelings. And so we don't want to feel it or your feelings either. But let people feel, hold a hand, put your arms around them, sit with them. Because we are gardens, recovery can take time. 
there's an area of my garden that's not as fertile as another area. I'm going to put fertilizer on that. I'm going to check back in a couple months. I'm going to water it slowly. And I hope that this time next year, we may be again to see something growing there, but we know it takes time. And so one of the lessons of the creator designing us as gardens is the time it can take to heal an area. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm, that's so good. I think that's going to help a lot of people because you're right. Nobody wants to feel their pain or anyone else's pain. So we're looking <laughs> right. for quick fixes and we're used to quick fixes, right? right. We're, we're used to quick fixes in this culture. So we're, we're looking for those. How, how, um, Dr. Anita, do you strengthen these emotions, you know, for your well-being? How, how mm-hmm. do you go about doing that or helping and or helping other people do that? So in the book, we talk about how to strengthen your relationship with your emotions first. Changing the way that you view it is freeing in itself. I like to say this isn't a self-help book. It's a self-understanding book because when you understand how you're made, it changes everything. So now that we know emotions are not bad, that emotional pain doesn't mean my faith is weak or that I'm failing and I can allow this, that helps reduce our fear of feeling because we don't have to think about doing something wrong. Then I want people to um, just begin to practice not escaping that feeling right away. So if you feel a sadness rising or you feel your frustration rising, sit still and feel it in your body. Allow it to flow through. It's like almost like water flowing through. And yet it hurts, but it, I promise it won't kill you. Let your body do what it was designed to do to process those emotions. When we're sad, often we might need to cry. We might need connection with another person. Go to someone you love who's safe and say, can you just give me a hug? Can you just sit with me? Our bodies respond to the presence of other safe people. And so sometimes the best self-care is relational. I'm going to go put myself in the room with someone who loves me and that can help me and let them see how we feel. When we're angry, sometimes we might need to make some noise punch a pillow, do some air boxing, but also acknowledge that this anger is telling me that I need something. I need to feel valued. I need to feel respected and then take action to set boundaries to get that done. When I'm afraid, when I have the emotion of fear, not the spirit of fear, the emotion of fear, it means I need to feel safe. How can I get that need met? Can I go to the Father in prayer? Can I go and talk to someone else who can help me understand a situation? Emotions indicate needs. Mm -hmm. So get the need met. Mm -hmm. I'm sad. I need connection. I'm angry. I need value and respect. I am afraid. I need safety. How do you get those needs met in a healthy way? In your relationship with God, but also in relationship with people he's placed in your life. Mm -hmm. And when you get the need met, that also helps. Just like when I'm hungry, I eat. Mm-hmm. When I'm sad, I connect. You know, you talk about, you know, this faith and you talk about uh, how it relates to uh, our spiritual life. I mean, the, the you know, our anxiety, our spiritual life. If mm-hmm. uh, say someone is like, you know, feel something triggers their feelings. Mm-hmm. Can you tell someone that it's going to go away, that that trigger will eventually go away. Are you talking about that as it, as you begin to feel it, the more you feel it, the more you feel it, the more you have empathetic people, you know, comfort Mm -hmm. around you. 
How long does it take for those triggers to go away? You know, I know everybody's individual. I'm not putting you on the spot. Sorry for the way I phrase that question. <laughs> but okay, I you know what I'm saying? It's like, is it always going to be something that you need to learn to manage? Think they lessen? Do you think, you know, and I guess everyone's different. I mean, it just. Yeah, so... everyone's different. We all have different emotional experiences. Some of it's based on our temperament, our biology. But an emotion is simply this to define emotion. It's the impact impact that a situation has on my body and my brain. How am I impacted by this situation? If I walk into a room and I, and I find out it's a surprise party for me, that situation has an impact on my body that says, oh my gosh, it has butterfly impact and excitement impact. I feel my heart flutter. A smile comes on my face. That's joy. That's the situational impact on my body and my brain. If a dog that I don't know comes running out of the woods barking at me, that situation has an impact on my body and brain. We call it fear. We jump, we run, we do things. So I want people to realize that that's something um, emotions, again, are our bodily responses to the situations that happen. If someone's yelling at me, I'm going to have a response to that. I might feel embarrassed or rejected or scared. If someone says, I love you, I'm going to have a reaction to that. So I want to make it really clear that it's okay. This is a normal way for us to have these experiences when the experience is painful, sometimes our stomach gets in knots, sometimes our heart is beating faster, we can understand that that will pass. We can sit down, oh man, in the book, I have breathing exercises you can walk through to help you calm your body, um, movements, uh, meditations. So I want people to check that out to help you interact with your body in a way that allows it to pass or go out of your way to get the need met. What is this emotion saying that I need? Do I need to feel connected? Do I need to feel valued? Do I need to feel safe? And how can I get the need met? Just like when we're hungry, it will pass when you eat. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> Is that kind of when you talk about, you know, the role of spirituality in overcoming trauma? Is mm -hmm. that part of that? I mean, it's spiritual mm. to get someone around you that is empathetic, someone you could talk it to. It's all it spiritual. Is. It's not like sometimes we think spiritual is, you know, la, 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 you know, but God is so practical and God is so real and God uses mm -hmm. people. He uses things he uses, you know, so tell me a little bit about what you mean by that. First of all, thank you for saying that because I say that all the time. It's all spiritual because I am a creation of God. And if he designed me in a way that when I connect with other people, my body is calmed and blessed by that, it's spiritual for me to go connect because I'm carrying out the best operations for the machine that he made. You know what I mean? So right. it's all spiritual. When it comes to trauma, one of the challenges is often that a traumatic experience, which is more than just something bad happening, a trauma is something that happens that overwhelms my body and my brain's capacity to cope. It changes the way my nervous system works so that I may be more anxious than other people more of the time because my body goes into what we call a hypervigilance that's aware of the environment in ways that it wouldn't have if it had not had that experience. So that's something different. And trauma therapy is really important way for us to help heal that. One of the spiritual effects of trauma is the depth of the question, why? Why God? did this loved one die in this tragic way? Why did I get chosen to be sexually abused? Why? 
this divorce? Why this, you know, the why is a spiritual question because we lean into our faith for explanations. We lean into our faith for a dependable framework to predict what might come next. And a trauma can shake that because it can feel like everything I thought I knew, I don't know. And so our faith is so important to overcoming trauma because one of the pieces of work is to be able to rebuild that framework. And sometimes Christians kind of leave that area of their relationship with God wounded, just try to focus on all the other parts. Like me and God are still here together, but we just don't talk about that. But gradually that part of our faith, that part of our relationship with him, that broken, it can be like a cancer that eats the rest. And so it's really important to be honest with God about your confusion. Be honest with God about your anger, your frustration. I love how Jesus went to his father in Gethsemane. He went completely vulnerable. And so often we try to get ourselves together before we go to prayer. Like, I got to come to God in faith. Let me put these tears away. Let me. Jesus didn't do that. He was full on falling apart in Gethsemane. And his father embraced that. And in Well, the book of Hebrews, Paul says, and Jesus was heard in that he feared and all of that begging for a break and let this cup pass. Even if, if, you know, if it's your will, I'll do it. But he was so vulnerable in that moment. Mm -hmm. I encourage people to go to God in that vulnerable way. Mm -hmm. That is a major part of how we can begin to recover from trauma Mm -hmm. is to be deeply honest with God, with our ugly cry, Mm -hmm. the ugly tears. And not be afraid that God won't listen and that God won't respond with compassion. Mm -hmm. It's okay to ask God why. I've had uh, an encounter with someone who uh, felt like that they want people to pray for them because they just don't feel like they can go to God. Mm -hmm. They just just don't feel like they can pray right now. And do you think that's part of that, that they just don't? Do you think it's something holding them back and the fact that maybe they feel like, God won't accept them. They've done too much wrong or. Sometimes people's hearts are just so broken. Uh Proverbs 15, 13 says, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Our hearts can be so pained that it breaks us spiritually. I didn't make it up. It's right there on the page. That's why the heart is so important. The Bible says, if people tell you, do a Bible search, search for scriptures in the King James Version that contain the word heart and the word spirit, you will see that every single time the word heart comes first because where our heart is, our spirit follows. And so as Proverbs 15, 13 says, when the heart has been sorrowful for a long time, sometimes we feel so spiritually broken We can't even hardly talk to God, Mm. but I'm so glad that the Bible says that he knows what I have need of before I even say it. Mm. Sometimes all we can do is sit there in silence and he sees me Mm. and I don't have to say anything. I don't have to say a word. He already knows you can pray even when you can't speak. Mm. If you just sit in his presence and know in the awareness, you already know what I can't articulate. Sometimes those silent moments of communication with him are the most powerful. Isn't that beautiful? And sit there gradually until your heart begins to just recover little by little. Yeah. Eventually a word will come out or a tear will come out or yeah. a cry will come out and you'll find your way back. He'll meet you. Isn't that beautiful? I know that is such a, such a word in due season for, for people, you know, because they feel like they have to perform. We're performance based. If we can't perform, if we can't pray, if we can't 
then what's wrong with us? And that just adds to all of that confusion. So I love that you explained that so beautifully. I know we just got a few more minutes here, but tell if you just want to talk to our audience about something that's on your heart or something that you've even Mm -hmm. experienced with all your dealings with people and your own emotions and your mother's emotions and the things that you guys went through. Will you just take the next couple minutes and just speak to our audience? Because you do it so beautifully and you have such an anointing on your life. Thank you. I want you all to remember you are always God's baby. You're his baby. My mom and I would sometimes be riding down the street. We'd see a, someone on the corner who was a drug addict and it would break her heart thinking of uh, my sister. And she'd say that was somebody's baby once. No matter what they look like right now, what they're doing, they were in somebody's arms. Somebody fed them. Somebody cared for them or else they wouldn't be alive. They were somebody's baby once. We are always God's mm-hmm. baby. I know we spend a lot of time focusing on maturity and spiritual maturity, that, but don't forget. You're always his baby. You're always three years old to God. You are getting your legs steady and you're falling and getting up. And when tears stream down your face, the Holy Spirit's rushing in to be there with you. Mm -hmm. When a three-year-old gets mad at me, I'm not like upset with that three-year-old. It's almost cute. Like, oh, you're mad at me. Come here. You pick him up. You are always his baby. Mm -hmm. Be God's baby. Fall into his arms and let him handle you that way. Will you just pray for our listeners real quick? Because I think there's a lot of people who struggle these days with a lot of things. And like you said, we just have to guard our heart and and just cultivate those good areas and and give ourselves a break for the ones that we're struggling with. Yes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up every person listening right now. You know the pain in their heart. Jesus, that's why you can intercede for us the way that you do, because you have felt everything that we feel and you're praying for us right now that our faith doesn't fail despite the pain we feel. Thank you, Jesus, for going ahead of each person, making crooked paths straight, clearing the way and holding their hand as you walk them through where they are to the next thing. Send people into their lives to speak good to them, to hug them, and to encourage them. If they need counseling, send the right counselor, the right therapist. Help them into the right church. Let them be surrounded by love and support, peace, joy, and patience with themselves and from others as they heal in the days, the weeks, and the months and years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Dr. Anita Phillips, The Garden Within, great book. You can get it wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And uh, we appreciate all your work and all you've put into this book. It's a great book. Pick it up if you can. We love you, Dr. Anita. Thank you for being with us. Thanks. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Victoria and Friends, produced in partnership with SiriusXM. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review and let us know what you think. And if you've not done so already, subscribe so you'll never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening to Victoria and Friends.